We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Pilato. Today we're going to discuss the Dave Gettleman and Chris Pettit, or Pettite as Nick likes to call him, but neither of us are really sure. I'm going to go with Pettit. Presser on the draft. They talked a lot about the upcoming 2021 draft. Thankfully, they didn't give away too much information. They kind of threw us in a bunch of different directions, which I think is important. You don't want to tip your hat. But they did say a lot of things that were interesting to me and to Nick that we wanted to discuss on this podcast and dive a little deeper into. So before we do all that, Nick, how you doing today, my friend? Doing well, man. Doing well. We're going to dive into this good old Chris Pettit and Dave Gettleman presser. I felt like it was more entertaining than the Kevin Abrams Dave Gettleman one from a few days ago. Yeah, I think you're spot on with that. I mean, general Dave Gettleman is pretty entertaining, I think, in his pressers. Um, I don't think that's anything out of the ordinary. I think as far as doing well today, I mean, it's freaking 40 degrees in northern New Jersey in late April, which is something I'm not pleased about, Nick, and I want to voice that displeasure now. I feel like late April it's usually like this, man. At least no. I- I've I've felt this <laughs> I felt really? like the weather hasn't gotten good in New Jersey. It doesn't get good until New Jersey until like May, mid-May. It does feel like as the years go by, we are losing spring as a as a um, season. It seems like it's kind of just like fall, winter, summer, almost like you just said, kind of. And it gets hot really quickly, but it never kind of you never have that like nice springtime feel. But hopefully that changes. But let's talk a little bit about this presser. I wanted to start with. What did you feel was uh, kind of a key takeaway or the most, the first most interesting point that was made by both Gettleman and, and Pettit or even just by one of the two? I think there were several interesting points, but uh, I'm going to start with just the edge position just because there were f- several questions by the beat porters about the edge position. And there was one that was directed at Chris Pettit about uh, are these guys really – are they desirable at Selection 11? And – he wasn't going to say no. Like, there's no doubt in my mind that he was just, yeah, you know what, no, those guys suck. Like, that wasn't something that he was going to do. But it does kind of keep the door open, as you said, which I do feel like it's important, keep the door open for the Giants to possibly at least, you know, uh, could be smoke and mirrors, select an edge with that 11th overall pick, whether that be someone like Jalen Phillips or Quiddy Pay or Aziz Ojolari. Now, I thought it was interesting, though, because Jalen Phillips, there was a little bit of hesitation from Chris Pettit when he was talking in another question about those medical guys. And remember, Jalen Phillips couldn't go to the combine because he had COVID. So Chris Pettit said some of these players, and it was in reference to Phillips, they didn't necessarily get their doctors to evaluate them. They had doctors evaluate them. They passed all of those uh, medical checks, but it wasn't the giant specific doctors. And I don't know if that's going to create some sort of... uh, just some sort of hesitation from the Giants if they don't feel comfortable because their specific medical staff didn't get to pass him. 
Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I think you said combine. I think you meant his pro day, but same difference. Obviously, there wasn't a combine. Uh, no, there was, a, there was a medical combine. Oh, the medical combine yeah. you're speaking of. Oh, okay, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, And so he didn't get a chance to go out there for that. That That's actually interesting, especially when it comes to, like you said, a player like Phillips. And it's interesting. I think that just goes kind of into the factor of, you know, we're working with so much less information this year without not only – the regular combine, but these private visits that teams would normally take. Remember back to the last few years, the Giants have had, not last year, obviously with COVID, but before that, they had guys like Barkley, Rosen, um, Josh Allen, all in for private visits at the facility. That's where they get a chance to get to know the players better. They can get their medical team to really check in on them, which is important because the Giants medical team is going to view a prospect's injury history and his injury profile moving forward a lot differently than kind of that overall team or whatever they get. So that could factor in. I think you're right when it comes to making that decision. If you're going to go edge at 11, you're going to take a player like Jalen Phillips, who on tape, I think me and you would agree is definitely the best edge in this class. I'd say so, yeah. And and you'd say so, I'd say so, but we're saying definitely. Yeah, we're not really saying it's up for de- too much debate here. I mean, players can obviously be different in the pros when if they get into the right system. Some players will do better than others, but as far as what you're looking for as a pass rusher one-on-one on the outside, I think he has the best package. But like you said, with this injury situation, is it something where the Giants are going to look at it and be like, it is 11 overall. Can we afford to take this risk without the normal information that we have? But I did think another thing I wanted to touch on was what you said earlier, which is, I mean, yes, you're right. I don't think he's going to say this is a bad edge class. No one's good. But he was pretty confident and effusive in saying, he said it multiple times, yes, there, if we take an edge at 11, we believe there are, these edges are worth that pick. That's something I wouldn't personally agree with, the exception of Phillips. I don't really feel like any edge in this class, in my mind, is is one of the best players in this class. I think, in general, it's going to happen every year where you're going to push some positions up because that's just the nature of the game. He even said it as well in his response. He said, edge rusher is such an important position. In addition to saying we don't think we'd be reaching just based on position, but he did say, like, it's so important to get these edge rushers. And we just had Elliot Christ on. This will actually probably drop before that, but we just recorded with Chris, and he was, like, saying one of the best values you can get every year when you're betting on the draft, when you're betting draft props, is to buy in early on the unders for the top edges in every class because they'll start higher than what they ultimately go because NFL teams will force those picks. They will push those guys up their draft board higher for need. And so for me, I'm not as as certain that... He's just saying that. I think they might actually, you know, be kind of, I don't want to say like softening it up for the fans if they do go edge at 11, but they might actually believe in their minds. They might have convinced themselves that then edge is worth that pick. And there's cases to be made. I just don't personally subscribe to it. And and I'll say this with the caveat, Nick, before you dive into this. I don't know everything. You don't know everything. They don't know everything. It's an imperfect process. So my opinion on this is not is ultimately meaningless, and it's a very it's a crapshoot process. Like this is there's so many variables that go into if a player succeeds or not. But I will say this: I just look at this class, and from my evaluation, with the exception of Phillips, I don't really see the case for the other guys like Pay, Ojolari, and, and and guys of that nature. And Pettit said as much as well. I mean, you were right; he was very effusive. But he also said that's how you win in the league. Like that was a quote of his: right. "You win in the league with a pass rush." And if you look at the Giants' edge position right now, they don't have that pass rush. Yeah, it was awesome that Leonard Williams was able to do what he was able to do. But in order to kind of unlock Leonard Williams, you want to give him. A- companion who can also rush the passer really work him on those stunts and those twists and everything like that so i don't know man i i think it's i think it's interesting for sure i can easily see them going that route and i think the draft in general is really interesting because we want to talk about trading back and everything like that right maybe if one and i think gettleman said it, if a quarterback falls there's a lot of variables and possibly there could be you know better value with those trades but if a quarterback falls then an avenue, because you can look at this from two different avenues. If a quarterback does fall, someone may trade a lot to go to 11, and the Giants can be like, and Dave Gettleman will be like, look, this is a, this is enough. We're not getting fleeced. We're going to trade back. But then at the same time, if five quarterbacks go before the Giants, then you're going to have several blue-chip prospects sitting there. So both of those scenarios are, are should be advantageous for the Giants. Now, yeah. if one of those two scenarios do end up happening and the Giants just go and select edge, it's like, did, did the Giants miss out on a golden opportunity right there to either replenish their roster or get a blue chip guy? Yeah, and I don't think these are all life or death situations, but it is 
the idea that you're touching on here is kind of what we discussed last year with the fourth overall pick in a class with four really good tackles. It's hard to kind of find which one's yeah. going to be the best. It just hit, and then obviously it goes back to the Saquon Barkley draft where they take a running back at two. It's just a matter of maximizing your draft capital, maximizing the chance of building out a best roster. We're not saying one way is wrong, one way is the other, but we are saying that, yeah, in a sense, you aren't actually maximizing your capital, your specific capital. It doesn't mean it's going to lead to a bad thing. Like if you draft Andrew Thomas at four and he ends up being a Hall of Famer and the rest of the three, uh, obviously, let's say this is a hypothetical scenario, the rest of the three tackles are considerably worse than them, and you won that. You won that gamble. But Absolutely. it's taking a risk, and it's not necessarily maximizing draft capital, but it's interesting. One thing you did mention, you said the Giants don't really have a pass rush outside of Leonard Williams. I think that is true from a traditional standpoint. So They don't have the traditional edge rusher, the guy who wins one-on-one off the edge with Dip and with Ben. But they did find a way to have an untraditional pass rush last year. They were 12th overall in sacks, which is pretty damn high. They did generate pressure. It wasn't always consistent, but more times than not, I felt like they did a solid job of generating untraditional, unconventional pressure. Absolutely. And I think the system is based, and I know you agree with that, and I think the system is based in a way where they don't necessarily need the same kind of pass rush. And then that also dives into my whole thoughts on pass rush or first pass coverage, which I'm now leaning heavily towards the importance of having guys who can match up in man and who, who can, not just man, but in zone, who can just cover in space and one-on-one and how important that actually is with so many offenses now. I mean, the, the vast majority of NFL offenses are not the old school seven-step drop back, run the football out of 12 personnel and then hit them with a seven-step drop back play action. I know we saw it a lot with Garrett, but it's not the most the majority of NFL offenses so most offenses are now designed to get the ball out fast and so what's more important you really want these guys and Daniel Jeremiah actually tweeted about this like a month or two ago Nick and I was curious I don't know if I brought it up to you but I am curious your thoughts on it he's like in my mind and what he's here what he said what he's hearing from a lot of NFL coaches right now and evaluators right now is it's more important to find pass rushers who win by converting speed to strength and who can win from that aspect than finding the guys who can win around the edge because these days, those edge guys who can burst around the edge, it's not as important because the quarterbacks, they, they don't have time to get there anymore. So what are your thoughts on that in general? I'm curious about. Absolutely. One of the most important things about playing edge rusher is your ability to convert speed to power. Yeah. Because you have the speed. You have that initial burst to kind of get off the line of scrimmage. And a tackle could try to be setting for your speed. And as he sets to his speed, tries to get to his set point, say, you can unlock power lower leg drive get underneath his pads and then just raise his center of gravity and then you have the tackle at that point i mean i think converting speed to powers that's what not a lot of not every edge can do in the nfl so either you have speed or you don't have speed and you have power when you have them both and you can kind of use them in conjunction with each other then you really can take advantage of these tackles and especially if the tackles are out on an island because right. you can win around the edge or you can set up around the edge hit him with an inside counter move or you could just run directly through his face with a bull rush so and and Jalen Phillips can convert speed to power. We've seen that. I feel like Aziz Ojolari ha- has a couple clips with that, but he's just more of a one-trick pony with that stab, chop, get to the get to his outside hip, and then try to rip through and get his uh, his hips basically towards the quarterback and into the pocket. And honestly, he doesn't even have like elite type of bend, which is kind of unfortunate to be honest. Like people compare him like to Yannick. And I could see that. I think he's better against the run than Yannick is. He's much more physical than Yannick is. But I think Yannick might have a little bit more bend than someone like Aziz Ojolari as well. So, and he's uh, longer. Uh, he's longer from a height standpoint. Yeah, I, how I don't, how long is I'm it? I'm not actually um, sure about the arm length. Because I know Aziz actually had like 34 plus okay, inch arms, which right. is pretty pretty damn good for an edge yeah, rusher, yeah. especially one that's six foot two. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, certainly with Daniel Jeremiah, and he knows so much damn football. I mean, that's definitely something a lot of teams are looking for. And you are 100 percent right with what you were mentioning before too. I mean, think about the quick game, man. Think about. Literally, a lot of offenses are designed pre-snap motion, and we're going to motion the guy, just like Eric Crocker was saying, and I'm going to motion him back, and then he's going to be open on a flare route, and I can just take that. And if I have the numbers, if I have an advantage, say if we had a t- two receivers in a stack to the right side of the field, I motion the guy off the line of scrimmage back towards the line of scrimmage, and that drags a corner because it's man coverage, and then I motion him back quickly, snap the football, and now I have a blocker and a chasing right. pursuit defender to 
it's just basically one versus two at that point if I can cut that angle off, which Jalen Waddle, guys like that, Devonta yes. Smith will be able to do that. So in that sense, your edge rushers aren't really that important with that kind of football. But still, I mean, there's plenty of times where you have to convert on third, third and ten, long, yeah. you know, second and long. And yeah, you where you need to take a three-step drop, five-step drop. Those mm-hmm. are still parts of football where edge rushers get more than two seconds to kind of win a rep. Edge rushes are still very important, but there is a precedent on pass coverage, and I can see that, and I think a lot of the smart teams have done that, Baltimore, New England, and now the New York Giants, yes, to be honest. Yes, the Giants are definitely in the forefront of that, and you made a great point. I mean, you, we watched so much Bama tape this year of that offense because so we're watching Smith and Waddle, and what you'll see from a guy who was resounding, like resounding reviews of Sarkeesian's offense, that people love what they saw, and what you <laughs> kept seeing was him do, using that pre-snap motion to get ad- advantageous matchups, especially for Smith, I saw. As Waddle didn't play that many games. He was injured for most of the season. But with Smith, man, you saw him do such a good job of motion, motion, Smith, motion, Smith. Now get him going this way. Now get the corner moving back that way. Now the corner's off balance. You snap the ball. You get it to him right in space, and you have a blocker in front of him, and boom! Now you have a touchdown, or you have a clear path for Devontae Smith. And I think a lot of offenses in the NFL are adapting these concepts from the college game. It's not just the college game, though. You see a lot of, obviously, Andy Reid has done a great job of this more recently in his whole career. And I think more offenses will continue to adopt these principles. And as they do continue to adopt these principles, in my mind, the importance of a guy who has that edge band and who can win these these reps that are going to take time on these five, seven, step drops is less important than the guy who's going to help you every single down, which is a cornerback in coverage who can lock up in man or who knows his responsibility in spacing and zone and has long arms and things of that nature. So to me, I'll see where that goes. But again, it's going to be my philosophy moving forward regarding the pass rushers versus the pass coverage guys. And we're not trying to just poo-poo the edge position. Edge position still is very, very important, like I said, in those third down situations. And it's important on rundowns. You need to be able to set the edge, be a contain and a forced defender. But like you brought up Andy Reid, man. Like what they do with that offense is so sexy. They'll have Tyreek Hill run that little back to the quarterback and then bubble screen, and they'll set that up and they'll show that to a defense like twice, two or three mm-hmm. times a game. Be six yard gain here, ten yard gain there, and then they'll run that same play. And on the backside, have to, uh, throwback Travis, screen. Travis yeah. Kelsey just sitting there for an easy throwback screen. And when you when you when you do that to defenses, man, it's just so hard to predict. And to talk about Devonta Smith, I think. Alabama and Devonta Smith specifically led the league and led the FBS in screens caught like he had the most screen yardage Mm. and the most screens thrown to him and this is one of the most prolific offenses we've seen recently that Alabama offense but they knew that they could manipulate space and then they could you know when you have guys like Mechie their other um their other wide receiver who's another dynamic threat you can just stretch the field stretch the field horizontally stretch the field vertically then you could stretch the field behind the line of scrimmage and you could still pick up four six yards and do that it's almost like and they have a dynamic running game by the way but it's almost like you're just basically running the football because that's such a low probability of failing on those little quick screens when you implement the motion with it yeah i completely agree with you on that it's a great way of breaking it down and so we'll see what ends up happening with that but let's talk a little bit more about what pettit said regarding the lack of information on prospects and what he said regarding how important it's going to be or how much more important it's going to be for them to have those inside sources, those coaches who have coached these players in the past or who have relationships with these players because that's how they get the information. The two most important factors in the draft that are not quantifiable by pro day stats that are not quantifiable by, by the film, the two things, you know, you look for most things, you look at the film and you look at the athletic projection to kind of see how they might fit for the NFL but there's two factors that are so important and not quantifiable and it's one does this prospect love the game of football two does he want to be the best possible player at his position those two factors are literally why Tom Brady is what Tom Brady is because Tom Brady came out of Michigan as a really skinny guy with no athleticism and really at that point like okay arm talent we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring The best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show 
by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Like It wasn't like he jumped off the page with his arm talent, but he continued to work at his craft, both from mental processing, both from strengthening up his entire body type change, his arm talent, everything that came with it because he loves football so much. And more importantly, he wants to be known as the best quarterback of all time. That's why he's still playing football right now, despite having won all these Super Bowls. And so those two factors are unquantifiable. Not They're not quantifiable, but they can be, I guess, better better determined if you have these coaching relationships and you have more inside information on these prospects. So one thing I wanted to do was dive into that. But before we do that, let's take a quick break to your award from our sponsors. Like any good team, hiring the right employees for your front office is just as important as recruiting the best players for the game. That's why you need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com BlueWire. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. All right, Nick. So on the topic of coaching relationships to these prospects, I actually wanted to dive into something that I found on Big Blue Interactive. So I went to BBI at right before we recorded this to try to find the transcripts of Gettleman and Pettit's pressers, which weren't up yet, and they're usually great at getting those up. So that's why... I consider it one of the better resources for those things, especially after the draft. If you guys are looking for transcripts from Gettleman on these prospects they draft, BBI does a really good job of getting those up. But I found something actually better. And so I want to give credit to the BBI poster. This is Yankee 28. So Yankee 28 dug, did the research, dug deep on this stuff, which was pretty cool, I think, and found the coach-player relationships with some of the prospects who are being discussed for the Giants or just top prospects in the class. So I'm going to name some prospects now in their coach relationship. So you have Devontae Smith from Alabama, who has a connection to Burton Burns on the Giants staff, both in 2017, 2018, 2019. Jody Wright, who's on the Giants staff from 2017. And then Jeremy Pruitt, who just joined the Giants staff, obviously, from 20, from 2016, 2017. Similar thing for Sertan. Similar thing for Waddle, all the same years there. Then you have Micah Parsons, who has the connection not only to Sean Spencer in four seasons, 2016, 17, 18, 19, but also Pat Flaherty, who joined the Giants staff, and that's 2016 and 2017, or I'm sorry, 2019 and 2020, so really all the years covered of Micah Parsons there. Same thing for Najee Harris, as far as regarding Burton Burns and Jeremy Wright, or I'm sorry, Jody Wright and Jeremy Pruitt, so that's three coaches for those Bama guys. For Azizo Jalari, the Georgia edge rusher, you've got Kevin Shear, who was on their staff in 2016, 2017. Creed Humphrey, a center who we talk about, interior offensive lineman Nick Loves, I love. Sam Code on the Giants staff. Code was there 2016 and 2017. Obviously, you have Leatherwood and Dylan Moses from Bama. Same deal there with Burton, Jody Wright, and Pruitt. So a lot of connections there. Um, and then finally, for Terrence Marshall, a player who obviously that we've talked about as potential value for the Giants, he has a connection to the staff too as well with Russ Calloway, who can give the Giants some information as well on him. And then you have some connections that go a little deeper here into later prospects. Nick Bolton, the outside linebacker in Missouri. Derek Dooley's connected to him. Jabril Cox, the inside linebacker for LSU. Again, Calloway there. Pat Fryermuth, again, Pat Sean Spencer and Pat Flaherty. So you got Penn State connections, LSU connections, Alabama connections is the biggest ones at the top of this draft, and Georgia connections, and obviously that Oklahoma connection as well. And then as you dig a little deeper into the draft, you have you know Elijah Mitchell, the running back from Louisiana Lafayette. Well, now the Giants brought Rob Sale onto their staff as their offensive line coach, and Rob Sale was there for a little bit of that. Uh, Rob Sale was also at Arizona State when they had Frank Darby, a late-round wide receiver we talked about a little bit on the on the Senior Bowl podcast. So, Nick, what are some of your key takeaways from kind of this uh, research done by Yankee 28 on Big Blue Interactive? Excellent stuff. There's also connections with UAB, University of Alabama at Birmingham, with Jordan Smith, who's a tall, lanky edge rusher, and Austin Watkins, who's a wide receiver we like, and then Tennessee. I mean, 
two of the former Tennessee head coaches are on this staff with Derek Dooley and Jeremy Pruitt. So you look at Josh Palmer, uh, Trey Smith, who's their offensive lineman as well. There's just a lot of connections here. And uh, I think that's awesome, dude. I love the fact that Joe Judge brought in, A, I think he has the biggest offensive staff in the league. And I love how he's brought in guys who have strong ties to powerful college programs. So you're talking about Alabama, talking about LSU. Those guys win championships. Yes. You're talking about Big Ten, James Franklin. That's a, that's a huge program as well. And I mean, I mean, a lot of these coaches are just absolutely revered. Coach Chaos is absolutely revered. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about guys who have done an excellent job recruiting guys who have been around the college games and I think one of the most under talked about or discussed things in football is relationships Mm -hmm. relationships this is a human game a lot of people want to talk about the RAS and the combine and the speed and all that stuff but relationships these coaches know how these guys work ethic is they know their character on and off the field and Joe Judge and most coaches but Joe Judge specifically seems to really really care about that and value that and that's what I love too, you want to build that culture, you want everybody to buy in, you want to bring in the right people to fit the locker room and to fit the scheme. And I believe this Giants coaching staff has done an excellent job bringing in a lot of these guys who know so many of these kids who are going to be coming into the upcoming drafts from huge programs too. I think I think that can't be understated. Yeah, and these are like the spots where I, I'm with you. I buy fully into culture when it comes to the what you just broke down. Yeah. Where, I, where, I, where you lose me a little bit on culture is the idea of wins from the past season meaning anything to the next season because I do believe every team has a clean slate for the next season so that's where I'm lost a little bit on the culture building wins let's say from seasons to the next because I don't think those mean much but this is the type of culture stuff that does mean much getting the right guys because it goes back to what we were discussing before do they want to be the best possible football player they can be and hopefully the best at their position like you want these guys to be you want them to come in I'm going to be the best edge rusher in the NFL if you draft a Jalen Phillips or whatnot but also do they love the game because if they don't love this game they're not going to be here for long I was listening to Daniel Jeremiah talk about his biggest mistake ever when he was working for an NFL team and he said it was during his days with the Philadelphia Eagles with Danny Watkins the offensive guard he said when he called him up on draft day he was out like hog hunting or something I think it was he was hog hunting and they kind of had this idea in their head like holy shit did we make a mistake here does this guy love football and it ended up being where he said we knew fast right away he didn't love football he didn't like it at all he didn't even like football let alone love football and he was the ad he was a first round pick who was out of the nfl in like a year or i two. remember that yeah yeah Danny, it was the, one of their worst picks in franchise history and he was also old at the time it was a weird pick but he said well, that was his biggest weird, yeah. mistake that he's ever made and so Ultimately, that's such an important factor that we're not going to be able to find on film. We're not going to be able to find, like you said, in the RAS scores. It's up to these play. It's up to these coaches and evaluators. And like you said, it's such an advantage to have a coach on your staff who actually knows them. Instead of having the scout go down and try to go to the bar that they frequent or try to like sneak into ways of finding how they interact yeah. with off the field, you got a guy who knows how they interact off and on the field and in practice. And think about this too: the Giants. We talked about edge a lot, right? You have mm-hmm. Sean Spencer, defensive line coach for Penn state jason Owa, huge connection there yeah kevin Shear, linebackers coach for the giants on that staff with georgia like what better to have a positional coach when you bring in a guy like who's going to know that player better than a positional coach from college exactly it's it's huge and i also love how dick Kennelman said they've they've touched these guys in reference to guys like pruitt and sean spencer i thought that was a weird way to phrase it and just in the boston accent it just made me chuckle a little bit yeah he's, he's had some he had definitely some entertaining uh moments in this presser for sure I mean, I, I, who would have thought there was gonna be a len bias drop yeah. <laughs> from, about, from kim jones i like when he talked about trading back and he's like if I include anybody in a trade, I'm so bad at the gal, Max, and I can't yeah. do it. I try and I try it's and every okay. time. It's and okay, yeah. I don't know who, what kind of, you guys tell me what this is, but I'll do my crappy Dave Gettleman accent. You tell me what it actually sounds like. But he's like, if I'm going to include anybody, and I, did, yes. I can't even do it. It's so bad. But he's like, if I'm going to include anybody in a trade, it'll be you, Pat Leonard. Like, he's talking to Pat Leonard about trading back. He's like, I'll throw you in. And then I thought Leonard had a nice jab back. He's like, oh, that's a good idea. It'll, you'll, you'll get a lot back for that. You'll get more of a return. So I thought that was funny, a little back and forth. But in addition to that, some of the things that are actually said that are important, I think, I liked, or I thought it was interesting, their evaluation of Kyle Pitts, because I think Gettleman said, the obvious he's a special prospect from like the physical standpoint he's a freak which is obvious and true but obviously in addition to that the tape is amazing he didn't dive too much into that but that tape it speaks for itself but he also said that he likes what he saw from him as a blocker he does not think that he's only a receiving first tight end what did you make of his evaluation of Pitts? i think what exactly he said was he has the blocking grit and he has the fundamentals which i believe he does have mm-hmm. but he's just kind of like um what was it uh 
Ed Smith, who we had on the podcast a little while ago, mm-hmm. Herb Smith's uncle. I mean, physics is physics. He, he's not necessarily like he's more narrow in the waist, a little bit more narrow in his lower body. He he tries his ass off, like similar to Evan Ingram, but I believe his fundamentals are a lot better than Evan Ingram. Ooh. It's just a a an edge rusher who is going to outweigh him by thirty pounds, who is coming with momentum. It's going to be more difficult for him to pass block. But if you have Kyle Pitts. You're not going to ask him to pass block that much. You're going to have him run routes because the guy's a dynamic receiver. But he can do it if you ask him to. I don't believe it's a dynamic part of his game. I don't think a lot of people say that. But you love the fact that he puts 100% effort out there. I know a lot of Giants fans are a little jaded about that because we've heard that about Evan Ingram so many times. But honestly, these two guys aren't even comparable between Kyle Pitts and Evan Ingram. Evan Ingram was overdrafted. He was an athlete that plays the tight end position. And he can't even really catch the football. Whereas Kyle Pitts has unique receiving chops. And from a blocking standpoint i believe like he's better fundamentally than evan ingram is but they both do try and i guess that's the comparison a lot of people want to put out there yeah and in addition to that something dave mentioned actually was that you got to make sure you don't get caught up on buying into these athletes like jerry reese did with evan ingram he saw evan ingram he saw the 40 time and he said this is what he can become this is what he ultimately can be but like edelman said you can't really buy into that fully because then you get into this game of like how many years you're going to wait for him to be what he can be now it's taking one year now it's two years of element oh no there's an injury setback now it's going to be a third year and that's one thing i really like about gettleman i think he's flipped the evaluations a little bit more toward players who actually are what rather than what they can become and what they can be just based on their athleticism i mean if you're going to make a projection based on the film i'm actually good with that like you know we had crocker on last night who's like i watched diami brown and I think he has the movement skills and all the necessary traits to become an elite route runner at all the routes. And that's similar to what the Seahawks gambled on with DK Metcalf. They said, listen, Metcalf didn't run a lot of routes at Ole Miss, just like Diami Brown didn't run a lot of routes at UNC. But that's because the coach didn't ask him to. We believe he can if we ask him to. And that's a different kind of bet, I think, than looking at a player like Evan Ingram and saying, you know, he does run a 4-4. He does show willingness to block and that type of thing. We can make him an inline tight end who can stretch the seam for us and become this excellent threat for us at all times so i think it's a little bit different there and i like how they approach that yeah yeah so do i and i also thought uh patty trana asked a solid question and it's something that i feel like we've always considered i guess you could say but she asked just about how the offensive line and she didn't i don't think she brought up the defensive line but you can group them in here but how the offensive line has a bunch of impending free agents does do the giants kind of take it into account that yeah you have a bunch of expiring contracts do you want to replace it i feel like a lot of people understand that that's something that happens but dave gettleman acknowledged it and said you definitely take that into the consideration for sure because you want to draft guys for i think it was quote unquote cheap labor is what he said which makes sense but that makes you think man this offensive line and this defensive line, they got a lot of impending free agents. Man, we might see a defensive lineman like an Aleem McNeil from North Carolina State or somebody like that get drafted. I don't think we should be overly shocked. And that kind of goes to what you and I were saying. If the board does fall a certain way, the Giants can trade back. I mean, you get more of those picks in the 100 range and the 120 range. You can kind of help replenish this roster and add depth at those positions. Interior offensive line, I want to attack much earlier than that, but specifically to the defensive line because next year you have, what, Austin Johnson, R.J. McIntosh, B.J. Hill, just off the top of my head, who are going to be free agents. Yeah, it's a really interesting way uh, way to think about it. I I mean, I know my strategy would be a little bit different. Mine would be to fill those interior defensive line spots cheaply in free agency with more Danny Shelton types or at the back end of the draft next year, I would say, just because they only have six picks this year and they have so few picks this year that it's not at the forefront for me, especially with Leonard Williams locked up and with Dexter Lawrence under team control for next season. I kind of feel good about just having those two filling out the rest with Danny Shelton types and maybe rookies next year because you're going to find an early contributor at that interior defensive line. You have a better chance of finding that in the draft than you do almost any other position, in my opinion. Actually, literally any other position. I would say your best chance of finding an immediate contributor would be on the interior defensive line. Some would say interior offensive line. I would argue against that. Some might say receiver. I would argue against that as well. But with that in nine, like you said, on the offensive side of the ball, which is also in consideration, you do have free agents coming up there. And so I really think that should be a consideration, especially because it does take longer for offensive linemen to develop in the NFL. And you got to get them in your program. You got to let them kind of grow into 
being an NFL starter. So I think it should be taken to play, but you also have to factor in the key thing here, which is the Giants only have six picks. And that was something they also asked Dave Gettleman about, and he said he was perfectly fine with having six picks because he said he really liked what he got for his fifth-round pick with Leonard Williams. That was the, They already lost the third last year. This is the fifth. This is the second part of that trade, the two picks for the impending free agent. They love that, and then they like Ike Item for the other pick that they gave up. So that's something interesting as well. I mean, I'm more open to interior defensive line and more depth at O-line if they can find a way to trade back and create more picks or maybe trade Evan Ingram, which they said, you know, we might consider trading a player if, if we draft a player over him. Because ultimately, what for me, it's like they don't pick at all between 116 and 186. And that's a prime area where they could be getting the type of players you're talking about. Absolutely, dude. And I think you have to look forward, especially after take what Kevin Abrams said in the, the press conference earlier this week he was talking about how yes it could be a little tricky in 2022 next year's offseason with all the contracts that they brought on the cap could be really really tricky and then you look at the giants roster you see all these impending free agents it's gonna be a lot of people to kind of replenish and some to even resign like the Jabril peppers types i mean you got guys like will hernandez lorenzo carter bj hill they're all going to be free agents i mean a lot a lot of depth pieces guys Mm -hmm. the giants might not look to bring back but when you look at the edge position you're relying on lorenzo carter you're relying on Atheti Odenigbo, he's another one, or Odenabo, I should say, he's another one who's going to be a free agent. So if he comes out here, has like seven sacks, gets pressure, looks good, he's going to play himself out of the Giants' price range. So yes. that's why I feel like the Giants need to get more than just six picks because you need this quote-unquote cheap labor on the team. Yeah, I mean, that is the key. That's the reason everybody loves the draft so much is those four-year guaranteed rookie contracts under team control for nothing. I mean, they cost nothing. You look at B.J. Hill. He's going to play a bigger role on this roster this year. What does he cost cap hit? Is it still under $1 million? I mean, what's his cap hit at this point? It's it's minuscule. I think it's, what, $1.01 million right now for the 2021 season? These draft picks, that's what you need. These are the guys that are the lifeblood of your roster at all times. Not only, like you said, starters but depth it's key for depth so i'm always going to be in favor of taking more picks for that reason but there's the main reason that i want more picks is because you can't win the draft you can't out scout these other gms it's a it's a ridiculously imperfect process that has so many variables that come into play injuries team fit scheme fit do the players love it like you we can talk about 40 different variables that are coming that can come into play for every single draft pick and when you add more variables it leads to a higher variance. And when you have a high variance, that means it's harder to predict something in general in life, in anything you do. So I'm always going to be in favor of that as well. Hopefully the Giants can find a way. I know they're okay with what they have right now, and they might ultimately end up doing this. Because remember, back in 2018, the Giants only had five draft picks, and they stuck with five draft picks. They did not trade that number two pick, so they kept that five draft picks. That's it. And, you know, they wasted one, in my opinion, on Kyle Oletta. Like, it's fine to take a gamble there, I guess, but, like, I'm always decently okay i used to be more okay with the quarterback day three gambles than i am now i've kind of changed my mind on quarterback i used to be like take one every draft and round in day three and try to like get lucky there but now i'm like you know what these guys never hit they just never ultimately never hit davis webb didn't hit kyle letta didn't hit and there's andre woodson if you go back like there's they just my new quarterback thing is you either take one in free agency a big name like a brady you trade for a big one that's proven like matt stafford and you give up what you have to give up if you need a quarterback let's say or you take one in the top five, and you that's where you go with it. And so if the Giants ultimately don't settle in on Daniel Jones, my route will be go ahead and trade up or use your top pick to get one. Because these guys like Kyle Aletta, I mean, they end up being, you take them instead of, and, and what you miss out is on a Darnay Holmes potentially. Yes, and remember, um, you forgot Rhett Bomer. Yeah, Rhett I, Bomer. I, 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 I do remember <laughs> Rhett Bomer. What an arm. Rhett Bomer had an arm. You had a cannon, bro. Bomer had an arm. He had NFL-level arm talent. Nothing else but NFL-level arm <laughs> Nothing talent. else. But no, I, I mean, again, there wasn't... I felt like there was more to take away from this than there was the Kevin Abrams yes, one. Yes, way when, more. When you combine them both, though, I mean, I feel like it does... It could paint a problematic picture for 2022. In what sense? In the fact that if they do not... If they bring in a lot of these guys, some of these guys bust the six picks. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of free agents the next year. I don't know how many draft picks are going to have for the next year. If some of these guys ball out and if they do play well, then they could price themselves out of the Giants' range because the Giants are going to be in some cap uncertainty next season. And that's especially true if they want to resign Jabril, re-sign, Jabril, re-sign Saquon Barkley, and resign Daniel Jones now. All of those things are dependent entirely, in my mind, on, besides Jabril. Jabril should be re-signed no matter what, in my mind, and will be re-signed, and they'll find a way to make that contract work. 
But as far as Barkley and Jones goes, that, that's fully dependent, I think, on the outcome of the 2021 season. If the Giants make some kind of run to the conference championship, if things all go well, or like, let's say even the Super Bowl, there's going to be a lot of pressure to get Barkley done for sure. And Jones will be at that point, what, entering year four? There's going to be pressure there. They might be able to skip one more year doing that. But you look at what happened with the Rams when they made the Super Bowl. There was mounting pressure to get that Jared Goff deal redone. And they did not need to at the time. They still had him under team control. But they fell prone to the pressure. And they made that deal with Goff. And it was an incredibly regrettable deal for their franchise. It was, And they haven't been set back because yet because they've literally like traded every possible first-round pick they ever have to build this team they have right now. And so they're going to win games. Like They have a sick defense. They found a way to get Matthew Stafford by trading even more. But they, if you ask them, they regret that Jared Goff contract for sure. Same, so. same with Todd Gurley. Yeah, and then as far as Barkley goes, I mean, you don't need to even dis- – every single one of these running back contracts has been regrettable. Gurley, Zeke, um, I mean, I'm not going to think of them off the top of my head right now, but that those two come to the forefront. Gurley literally I, – I, I want to say it's over $20 million in dead cap, like well over $20 million in dead cap, well over it. And the guy never played a down on his new, sna- on his new contract for the Rams. Wow. It's just why would you sign Sickening. him early? Like, like there's been two huge warning signs for that. Zeke and and Zeke is not really huge, but I think a lot of people would agree, especially with Dak. Now that they got that contract done, that's good. But I think a lot of people would agree. Yes, if they could redo it, they would not give Zeke that contract. But the Todd Gurley one, man, I mean, ew. Then you got the Jared Goff, ew. And then you, before they also gave Brandon Cooks a deal that they wanted to get away from, and they traded him to the Texans. Thank like God, they had Bill O'Brien to build them out of that one because <laughs> yeah. if Bills wasn't there, they would they would have been stuck on that deal as well. That was a nice bailout for them. But yeah, you're right. So we'll see what happens. You're right though. This the next year is not going to be as pretty. Like don't expect there won't be. I, you know, I went all in on the Giants should be big spenders this offseason for. Jones and they were they ultimately dipped into their future as they should have because the cap is fluid but it's not the cap is not made up I know I once said that as a joke that it's a myth because I was trying to make a point but that's not true it's just very flexible it's more what I meant was it's way more of a soft cap than it appears to be everybody kind of thinks of it as this hard cap but it's not really but it's not like they can spend go on these spending sprees every offseason next season next offseason they won't be big players in free agency and like Nick said they may even have troubles re-signing a lot of their own players so one way to combat that would be to have more draft picks this year, to have guys that can build out, to have guys that can develop within the system and within the program, and we'll see if that ultimately happens. I don't think it's a, a foregone conclusion they're going to end this draft with six picks. I think they're more interested in trading down now than they ever have been. I really do believe that with Joe Judge in the fold here. So we'll see what happens ultimately, but that's all we have from the presser. Oh, you got something? Go. I was just going to say, I believe right now, according to I'm on Track, there's 44. Track. Spot track. Is that how you say it? I think that. I just fuck with you. No, no. I mean, you guys can roast me. I don't really care. But uh, I believe there's 44 expiring contracts in 2022. Now, some of those guys are guys on the practice squad. Guys, but that is a lot of guys. And that's that, that could – I'm just saying, I mean, with Kevin Abrams and his comments oh, about gosh. the cap uh, situation next year, it could be a lot of like scrubs that they're going to have to add from free agency. That's why I, I would love to get more than just six picks here. Yeah, that's another great point. I mean, I didn't really know that number was so high as well. So that's definitely something to keep in mind here. And I do apologize for dropping a a small F-bomb there for all the people who listen with their kids in the area. I'm sorry about that. We are a family show, as I like to say, and we won't do that again. But anything else you want to touch on from this presser before we move on to some kind of recent rumors regarding the draft? Nah, let's move on to some of these recent rumors. I'm just ready for this draft to happen, bro. I know, right? It's excited, it's like, we're, we're at the point where we just want this draft to go down. I think, I guess the recent rumors that I would talk about is one, Devontae Smith was spotted at a Knicks game. So make what you will of that, but I will say this. Before the 2018 draft, there was a lot of this type of stuff going on with Barkley. He was wearing was. a giant sweatshirt in the barbershop. He uh, did something else that I remember was in New York. I feel like... Like if we had seen Devonte Smith with official Giants gear on at the Knicks game, I'd be I'd be leading, drawing more conclusions from it maybe. But it is something to at least talk about, I guess. And that nice Yankees hat on though. Oh, he did have a Yankees hat. All right. Yeah, well, let's show, show some New York love there. Okay. Well, maybe Devonte Smith is hearing that he will be the pick if he's there at eleven. That's certainly what Saquon Barkley heard in the 2018 draft. Um, otherwise, there really hasn't been too much on the front. I mean, even Vegas still seems so uncertain about where the Giants will go with this eleventh overall pick we just had Elliot Christ on although that interview will probably drop after this he said like basically like not a single position has better than plus or as bet yeah better than plus 250 odds and for those of you who don't know gambling what that means is like normally you'll see at this point in the draft there will be a favorite and a favorite 
means they would have minus odds. So it'd be like minus 110 or minus 120. When you have plus 250 as like the lowest number, the lowest odds for what position they're going to go, it basically is saying Vegas has no idea where they're going to go. And, they, and he even said like, as far as players go, the lowest, the favorite is Devontae Smith, but he's only at plus 200 or plus 225. So you're getting two to one odds even on him to be the pick. So that's not even anywhere close to a guarantee for Vegas, or they don't even feel confident at all by listing those odds. So it is interesting to me. I mean, I have no idea really where the Giants are going to go here. I'll be honest with you, Nick. It's the uncertainty of all the stuff that could happen from pick one to pick 11. And it's because the Giants aren't picking in the top 10 for the first time in what, three seasons now? Four seasons. Four seasons, yeah. Fourth draft, yeah. Which um, Which is interesting, right? Interesting is one way to put it, I guess. I mean, it's devastating, really. If we're being honest about the situation. Very, very devastating. We're sick of it. We want wins here. Let's get them. But um, yeah, but, but uh, like I think it's interesting for sure. I mean, I'm I'm thinking at this point, Nick, it's gonna be one of these receivers or an edge. Mm. But I really think there's like a better chance than I ever have that they're gonna trade back here. I don't know why. I just have this odd feeling that they might actually finally do it and trade back. I think I think that would be really much more uh, likely if a Trey Lance, Justin Fields, or Mac Jones yeah. ends up falling. But then again, it's like, why wouldn't Dallas trade back unless they're super right. in love with like a Patrick Sertain or, or J.C. Horn or something like that? Like, I feel like Denver would probably want to select one of those quarterbacks, so they're probably not going to trade back. But why? what's preventing the Dallas Cowboys from doing it? Who do they love so yeah. much? Unless like a Rashawn Slater falls or unless Jerry wants to roll the dice on a Micah Parsons. I'm not really sure. I don't really think they would do that. Mm. But... It's uh, it's interesting. I, I try to look at all of those picks before the Giants and, and kind of see what they would do. You know what I mean? Carolina, Denver, and then obviously right. the Cowboys. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I don't want to convince myself of that as a true possibility because like Daniel Jeremiah, NFL Network scout, said <laughs> the other day, I'll believe that a NASCAR driver will take a right turn in a race before Dave Gettleman trades back. And even Dave Gettleman laughed at that one. Uh, but he, he claims he's tried to trade back a bunch of times and it just fell through for whatever reason. Um, I mean, I'm sure every team tries to trade back, but some teams actually do it. So yeah. I, I don't really buy that. I'm not accepting I mean, I'm that sure excuse. I'm sure he's tried to trade back. I mean, there's so many times like phone calls are going, but like yeah. but like he said, like, oh yeah, if this player falls and that player gets selected and then it's like, all right, well now I'm not gonna trade with you, you know? Like, right. it's like oh, all right. And I don't yeah. think that he and I know you agree with this, I don't think he tried to trade back in twenty eighteen. No, I think no. he was set on Saquon Barkley. Absolutely, they yeah. love Saquon Barkley. They don't believe in positional value. He said it himself. He does not believe in the the running back position uh longevity factor either he said that himself as well and he said he really believes the foundation to an offense is running the football he said all three of those things in addition to saying he thought he was touched by the hand of god there's no debate there he loved saquon barkley he fell in love with him and he wasn't listening he wanted that, that was it he you know he felt like he's getting by far and away the best player in the class at two yeah, and I'm wondering, I don't really think any of those uh, picks were even first-round picks, at least not with the Giants, maybe back with Carolina. Yeah, that he's referring to yeah. as like potential trade-backs, like probably. Probably didn't do it with Andrew Thomas. I know I have Daniel heard Jones. there's a rumor that they were going to trade back. Again, these are reports and rumors uh, that absolutely. nobody knows for sure. Yeah. But there is some rumor report that he was going to trade back from 42 last draft, but until McKinney fell. And if McKinney hadn't fell— 36, yeah. I'm sorry, 36. Yeah, yeah. And if McKitty hadn't fallen, then he would have actually made a trade back. Now, who knows if that's true, but that's what I've heard. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people had him as a consensus, like, top 20 picks. That was just really good value. Yeah, he had a bad 40 time, and people overrated that 40 time. Absolutely. All right, that's all we have for on today's show. As always, we're going to try to promote some things. So, we haven't dropped it yet, but if you do want to find... The specific Giants-only mock draft that both Nick and I recorded. We both did a Giants-only mock. So I've got Nick's mock and my mock. Head over to the YouTube page. You can find our YouTube channel, which we are trying to grow out now. It's in its earliest of stages. You can find it on YouTube under Big Blue Banter. Look for our logo. That's the right one. Please smash that subscribe button, hit like on the videos, and then check out our seven-round Giants-only mock draft there. You can also, as always, support us by leaving us a review and rating on iTunes and following us on Instagram at NY Big Blue Banter over there on Instagram. And lastly, joining us for our live Q&A show every Tuesday night on Locker Room App. So before we sign off, I want to get to a few of the recent reviews because some of you were kind enough to leave a review on our iTunes. Andrew Owen says, one, I love the pod, been listening for a while now. 
Um, but are there diminishing returns when it comes to adding star power on the offensive line at the expense of having a weaker weak link? For example, is it better to have five above average offensive linemen than the same line with Tristan Wirfs replacing one of the OTs and the other OTs being replaced by someone who's below average? Two, I'm a roller, I'm a low key roller coaster nerd. As New, as New Jersey natives, have you guys been to Six Flags Great Adventure in Jackson, New Jersey? If so, what is your favorite coaster in the park? I have my guess, but I'm going to let you guys say it first. So first, let's get to the first question because that's that's an interesting one. Yeah, yeah, I think it's better to have above average offensive linemen instead of one star. I think it's better for a cohesiveness, and as long as that offensive line is on the same page and they're all above average you don't have a glaring weakness to kind of target so i would go with that over the stud tackle and then a bunch of scrubs yeah i think nick nailed it i think that you're only you're i guess only as strong as your weakest link is the best way to describe it and i think this is what the giants are going for this year by the way i mean that's their plan it seems like they think they can get Lemieux to an above average level they think they can get will hernandez to an above average slash average level and the same with matt parrott they feel like they already saw it with nick gates throughout the entire 2020 season i think at least and i think that they felt like they saw that with andrew thomas over the final nine games and they feel like they'll throw out the first seven because he was still learning he was still growing and things of that nature now me and Nick feel like that's a big gamble. I especially think it's a huge gamble on Shane Lemieux, who I don't even know why he's being penciled in as this guarantee to take a big jump. He was a fifth-round pick for a reason. And the flaws that he has may be fixable by coaching or may just be athletic flaws that can never be fixed. As far as Hernandez changing positions, that one seems a little risky too. Parrot, I think we both would say, is the likeliest of those three to take a big step. Would you agree with that? I would hope, yes. Yeah. I mean, the thing about Hernandez is just so wild is he started, he has good quality NFL tape. His 2018 film's great. Yes. Yeah. And then it just <laughs> plummeted. What happened? I, I, I have no idea. So I'm a hopeful that, that that can be rectified and fixed. And even if it does, like, is, is he just gone next year? Are the Giants going to try to retain him? Say if he comes in and he's like, I, I don't think he's ever going to be the dominant guard we hoped him to be, but say he yeah. comes in and he's good he, he, he's, he's a good starter. Like, are the Giants going to retain that? Are they going to have the money to retain that? Is he going to be in high demand? There's uh, Yeah, that's another. Is he going to be in high demand? I don't know. I don't uh, know. I think it's interesting. But uh, I have been, to, to transition to your second question, Andrew, I have been to Six Flags, but it was back in like 2009, maybe, when I was uh, younger. And I honestly probably can't name one roller coaster. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, well, I got a better answer for you then because I know Nick's not a big roller coaster guy, not a big Six Flags guy. Andrew, I used to be a big roller coaster guy. And I've been to Six Flags probably 20, 25 times in my life. Now, I haven't been in probably the last 10 years because I, I guess as I get older, I just lost, not lost interest, but maybe it's just not something that you know me and my friends do as often or anything like that. But there was one friend I used to have Kelly Fleming, who every year for his birthday, we would go to Six Flags as part of that big birthday day. And so that was a yearly thing for me for a while. And your guess is my favorite roller coaster would be El Toro. I actually have a funny story about that roller coaster, El Toro. One of the birthdays I went was the debut year of El Toro. I think it was maybe one month into El Toro debuting. And so we got online to go on El Toro. And it was a disaster from that point on, Andrew. I'm talking, we're on this long-ass line that looks like it might be an hour or two, and it starts to get to hour two, and we're still waiting. Then the roller coaster is breaking down because it's kind of new in transition, and then it breaks down, they fix it, and then it breaks down, they fix it, then it starts to drizzle a little, and they shut it down. And now we're on hour three, and now we're on hour four, and we're screeching past this line. And we finally get to hour five, and half of our crew bounces out. Half our crew says, I'm out. I'm not waiting in this line anymore. And this is a devastating experience like waiting in a line for for an hour or two is okay you talk you play dumb games you do the rock paper scissors you you find ways to pass the time but when you get into that three four five hour range it's just pain it's just pure pain you're standing you're leaning on the little like nasty like metal bar that probably everyone's touched and you've just picked up 17 diseases you don't even want to know about by just hanging on that bar you're now you've lost you, you there's no more games there's nothing to talk about and half the crew drops out here andrew and i'm like i this is big for me it's a big flaw of mine I have like points of no return. So at that point, I'm like, I already put in four or five hours. I can't get nothing out of this. I need to get something out of this, Andrew. So I stuck it out with one friend. It was down to me and one friend by the end of it. It ended up being eight hours online to go on this stupid El Toro ride. And yeah, it's their best coaster there, Andrew. So like you're right technically with your guess because in future years, I went on it with a, with a slower weight, whatever. And it was it was fun. It's their best coaster. But it was not even close to worth 
that eight hour wait. I wasted and ruined an entire day by my stubbornness. At hour two, I should have jumped off that line never to do it again. And I will say this with the future of going to theme parks like this, roller coasters, whatever it may be. From this point on in my life, I will never again go to one of these parks that doesn't offer a fast pass. I will pay the 100, 200, 300. I don't care. You can put any price on it. No price to me is not worth paying to, sk- to skip these lines. These lines are not worth it. You should not be waiting in these kind of lines at theme parks. You know me pretty well, Dan. <laughs> Do you ever see me doing that? Not a chance in hell your patience no. level would allow nope. for you to ever wait on a line. No. I don't think you'd wait on a line for 35 minutes, let alone eight hours i would say 35 minutes would be my break that's point. the break. Yeah. well i would look at the line and just say no and every time i have <laughs> i have been to six flags i did get the fast pass because i'm not I'm, yeah. i will refuse to wait on a line it's worth the money like at that point they weren't offering it but when i used to go but. like there's no like to me and i hate being such a curmudgeon with this there there isn't enough enjoyment to repay the misery of waiting in the line i actually 100 percent agree with that statement like there the enjoyment you get out of it is so short-lived it's like a two three minute ride like i remember i went through a similar experience at one point with the superman ride there and it's just like these are it, it's it that wasn't eight hours that was like two or three hours but it's just like never worth it you're waiting in that shit line they try to put like stupid little things along the way to catch your attention it's like oh that was interesting i read that little sign up there for 15 to 30 seconds and now i need something else to to, to capture my attention i have nothing left like so yeah luckily so. we have like smartphones and stuff but i love how you said <laughs> sure. this this is probably this before like, smartphones yeah go back like 10 minutes dad said oh yeah you know you wait in line to play rocks paper scissors like who the heck plays rocks paper scissors you come up with but you do come so this guy by the way let me just preface this by saying this was before the time of smartphones so we didn't have that yeah, going yeah. for us and it wasn't rocks paper scissors shoot but it was stupid like games like there were dumb games with your hands yeah, yeah, and yeah. with your mind that you're trying to play to pass the time Absolutely. and it works for you can get you can grind out like 30 to 45 minutes there but you're talking eight hours and it's just it's it's devastating andrew but one day i'll go back to one of these and i'll try to buy the 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 fast pass as well all right ny till i die gives us five stars and says i'm a huge fan of the pod i'm learning tons about football just listening to you guys break down film and talking football strategy as a whole question going into 2021 if you could pick one player on both sides of the ball to take a major who will take a major step forward in their progression besides daniel jones who would it be and why okay so we're gonna take one player on each side of the ball so for me i think it's going to be uh I'm going to go with Matt Parrott okay. on, on the offense. And then on defense, I'm going to go with Lorenzo Carter. Or no, I'm going to go with O'Shane Zimenez because he had another year under contract with him. Okay. And why? And why? Oh, because we need uh, we need someone who can rush the passer. And we need somebody who can be a actual reliable right tackle and not the Cam Flemings and the Mike Remmers of the world. So you kind of get both of your staple tackles with Andrew Thomas, Matt Parrott. And then O'Shane is just somebody that I feel like nobody's talking about right now. If he can come and give you pass rush value, that's going to be important. So I'm going to go with that direction. But there's probably several other defenders I can name. Yeah. I like those picks. For my picks, I'm going to go with Andrew Thomas on the offensive side of the ball. I believe that. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I think he's the best asset on the roster right now when you factor in importance of the tackle position, his overall upside based on not just where he was drafted, but how we scouted him. I mean, again, he was not my highest rated OT, but I had him in that elite group of four for a reason. And he has a lot of upside, and he showed that at times in the second half of the season. So to me, he has the best chance of taking that step forward. And on the other side of the ball, on the flip side, on defense, I'm going with Xavier McKinney. I think he has the best chance of taking Mm. that step forward. I think his rookie season was ruined by the injury, and yet still, when we saw him on film, he flashed despite having no idea really what he was doing out there in the system, despite having no reps really, despite coming off having to sit out because when you injure your foot, you're not you're not practicing and you're not really in your best physical shape. You don't have your legs under you. You don't have your you know your breath, everything like that. But what we saw on tape, there was one rep that I always come back to, and me and Nick talked about it on the film. And when I saw it, I, I asked Nick about it. He's like, yep, I saw it too. It was really impressive. Where he took a specific angle on a pass from the, from the deep half secondary. The angle he took, he just came, I would say, probably mil, millimeters, not probably not that close, but very few feet away from making an interception. And that 
pass never has a chance of being intercepted if he doesn't have the knowledge and the savvy and just basically natural feel for where to what angle to take while driving down on that pass and he took such a perfect angle that he almost turned what should have never been an interception into an interception it wasn't that time but I think as we move forward with McKinney we will see examples of him taking the right angles while driving down in coverage to make plays on the ball whether that be PBUs or interceptions we're going to see a lot more of that so for me on that side of the ball it would be McKinney love it love it we got another one all right last one here actually this isn't a review this isn't a question but greg semko who's been i hope i didn't pronounce your name wrong greg because you've been a big fan of this podcast for a while i've seen you on twitter interacting with us for years i mean you even say you've been a listener back to the nick turchin days so anyone who's a listener back to the early days of big blue banter and i've gone back and i've listened to that content it is not what we're putting out today let me just say that i was raw i had no idea what i was doing i was starting a podcast from scratch i found nick out of nowhere i'm talking about turchin out of nowhere and we were just like let's do a podcast and let's see what can happen and so i appreciate you if you stuck with us through those times because they weren't quite the same as the product we're putting out today and i think you even mentioned it. you said i want to thank nick f specifically for the way he breaks down and that's nick filato for those of you i'm sure everyone caught that but for the way he (laughs) breaks down all the technical info and makes it very easily digestible and that really resonates with me because i think that's basically our goal of this our goal is to provide x's and o's content that's easily digestible it's always been our goal it always will be our goal if we ever stray away from that let us know because we want to get back on center then but that's just that's just it for the review nice long five-star review there um otherwise guys that's all we have for today so have a great rest of your week and as usual we'll talk to you pretty soon Chapman, welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.